This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. The only sports talk show in Washington dedicated to talking Washington Capitals hockey. Hear from the players, the coaches, local and national media personalities. And call us with your questions and comments toll-free at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5. Radio 24-7. Here's your host of Capstock, Ben Raby. All right, here we go. Welcome into another edition of Capstock, a Friday afternoon edition of the show, and also a game day edition of the show. Finally, feels like a while ago. Capitals have been off the ice game-wise anyway since Tuesday, the overtime win in Dallas, but they'll be back at it tonight. As we get you said for the Capitals and the Arizona Coyotes for the Capitals, it is the penultimate game before the three-day holiday break. That means next to last. They'll be in Arizona tonight, and then the quick turnaround as they visit the Vegas Golden Knights tomorrow at T-Mobile Arena. John and Ken out in the desert, and so it is Ben Raby back with you inside the D.C. studios this afternoon our final show of 2017 will be off next week so this is our final show of 2017 and so for all intents and purposes we'll we'll also refer to this as our christmas edition of the show our holiday edition of the show and we're going to be in a little bit of a festive mood coming on a little bit later on in the show looking forward to doing this later had some fun earlier in the week at the kettler capitals iceplex did the rounds with the capitals beat reporters the usual suspects, the usual names you're familiar with, Tarek El-Bashir, Rob Carlin, Alan May, Tom Galitti from NHL.com. We did the round, Steve Wino as well from the Associated Press. We put them on the hot seat. We asked them the hard-hitting question, what is on the Capitals' holiday wish list this year? It's exercises like this that really make you know the whole going to grad school and getting the journalism degree really worthwhile. But we went uh, went after the beat reporters with the hard-hitting question, what is on the Capitals' holiday wish list this year? What are you putting under the Capitals' hypothetical holiday tree here? What does this hockey team need? They're in first place. They're doing very well. 22-12-1 record. Top spot in the Metropolitan Division. They have some company now atop the division. The New Jersey Devils won a hockey game last night. So the Caps and Devils tied for first place with 45 points each. One clear of the Columbus Blue Jackets who fell in a shootout last night to the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, yeah, we've referenced it before. The standings, they're very tight. We'll see if the Capitals can build on their four-game winning streak tonight in Arizona, taking on a Coyotes club, which is struggling. It has been uh, a year-long struggle in Arizona. Coyotes entering play tonight last overall in the NHL standings. They have lost seven in a row 0-6-1 over that seven-game stretch, outscored 24-9. to And it will be the battle of the backup goalies tonight. Philip Grubauer set to start for the Capitals. Hope he will go tomorrow against the Golden Knights. So Grubauer for the Caps and Arizona going with their backup, Scott Wedgwood. They are also playing the front end of back-to-backs. They'll host the Colorado Avalanche tomorrow night, uh, also in Arizona. All right, so the Caps and Coyotes tonight. We reference the Golden Knights tomorrow. We're going to be talking a whole lot about the Golden Knights. We have been throughout the week because, to be honest, let's give praise where it's due. The Golden Knights among the early season storylines. As we are approaching the holidays, we're almost approaching the official halfway point of the regular season, if you could believe that. And 
with the Caps going into Vegas tomorrow. We do have a little bit of a holiday treat on the way as well. Just found this out like five minutes ago, full disclosure. We didn't promote it on the Twitter machine yet or anything like that, but we got a special special guest joining us is what he said. Coming up later on this hour. From Vegas, a familiar name to folks in these parts, fans of the Capitals. Backstrom now behind the Minnesota net, centered, and Ovechkin keep through, they score! Nate Schmitz, the pride of St. Cloud, Minnesota, with 11.7 to go in the first period. It's one, nothing, Washington! Yeah, there he is, Nate Schmidt. You're on ice leader, by the way, with the Vegas Golden Knights. He's like their top defenseman there. He's also the number one option on the power play, quarterbacking the man advantage unit with the Golden Knights. He was always a fan favorite in these parts, Nate Schmidt. And, you know, as a result of the expansion draft and the ability to only protect three defensemen the way it was set up, they exposed Nate Schmidt. And uh, sure enough, George McPhee and the Vegas Golden Knights gobbled him up and took him in the expansion draft. So uh, some folks in these parts were disappointed with that outcome. But Nate Schmidt, good to see. He is enjoying himself and playing very well. And among the uh, spark plugs for the Vegas Golden Knights, who, by the way, are one point now out of first place in the Pacific Division. They now trail the L.A. Kings by a point in the standings after L.A. earned a win last night against the Colorado Avalanche. So looking forward to chatting with Nate Schmidt. We'll do that in about 40 minutes from now, 45 past the hour, if you prefer. And also coming up in hour number one, talking about the expansion Golden Knights. We're going to bring it back to the uh, the other end of the spectrum, if you will. The expansion Washington Capitals, a miserable bunch. We spoke yesterday. We heard from Ron Lowe, the original goalie on the expansion Washington Capitals in 1975, an expansion club which won just eight of 80 games. We're going to dig a little bit deeper with author Glenn Dreyfus, the author of Legends of Landover, a book which chronicles the first 20 years in Capitals franchise history, essentially the Capital Center era, chronicles the first 20 years of the franchise. The book was released last year, but again, focusing on sort of 1975 through the mid-90s. And uh, in particular, some moments and memories at the old Capitol Center in Landover. We'll do that with Glenn Dreyfus on a focus on just how bad those expansion Capitals teams were and how far the organization has come since that time. But first off, we're going to keep it in the present earlier today at Gila River Arena in Glendale, Arizona. Capitals holding their morning skate ahead of tonight's game against the Coyotes and head coach Barry Trotz meeting with the media following the Caps morning skate. Is uh, tonight the night for Taylor Chorney to see some action? Um, possibly, yeah. Possibly, yes. Uh, we're going to have Grubauer in net. That'll be the one change, and we'll decide what we're going to do on defense. You guys are one of only three teams in the league. Uh, Coyotes are another one that has to play back-to-backs going into the break and back-to-backs coming out of the break, but it obviously means a little more for you guys given your um, – tightness of your division how do you approach this as far as trying to maximize your potential of getting as many of those eight points? well i think we we put it on the group as we know where we are I, I think you just you know you pick up the the paper you look at the standings whatever um you know where you are every game every potential two points is out there so we just we're gonna have to maximize our lineup as as much as we can do what we did maybe in dallas we you know we went with a four-line approach and and uh, we're going to have to, you know, we'll probably, in terms of goaltending, we're going to split our goaltending and, and um, 
you know, just try to, you know, filter in. If someone gets nicked up, we put a fresh guy in and, and go at it. So you got to play, you know, structured. You got to play through the the holidays. Uh, I mean, we we had one practice. We'll have one practice in, you know, in five games, really. So a lot of bad habit, habits can creep in, but uh, hopefully we're uh, we're in a good place and we can fight through it. I think we 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 understand the importance of every game. Last year, you talked about a sense of urgency, how this group would change dramatically this season, and that might be your best chance. And yet, here you guys are atop the division again. Any any thoughts as to why you've been able to sustain well, this? I, I think it's uh, it's a cultural thing. Um, we started a few years back uh, trying to uh, create a, a good culture where uh, players got better, uh, a culture where winning was important, uh, a culture where uh, accountability was 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 uh, you know signed if you will um, and also I, I think the recognition of um, how easy this things can change on you uh, where I, you don't you don't see us taking the approach of of uh, you know you lose a game or you know if you win four and you lose one you, you got to get that next one it's 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 really important so I think we've just culturally we've we've chipped away and uh, I think we've got a real good veteran group. That that it's really important when you have changeover or young guys that you have a strong veteran group that uh, has a lot of pride in what they do. And and I think we've instilled that, and and they're carrying it over. Would you say the identity of this team has changed from last season? Uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think we we're we're probably a little, not quite as offensive. Um, I think our. Um, I think we, but we, you know, you look at the, the goals for and against, and our goals for is actually uh, decent, uh, probably uh, a little bit better than we probably expected. So that's good on the guys that are replaced, the, the guys that are gone. And, uh, you know, we've always had good goaltending. That's been part of our, our, our DNA with, uh, with Grubauer and Holpe. So um, we just, we've learned to, we learn to to be the same, but through change. Uh, some parts of our game that have uh, we're been a big part of our game the last couple of years are still there, uh, but some other areas where maybe we would hang on to the puck or, or regroup a little bit different and and make some you know, higher risk plays, uh, uh, we would get away with it. Uh, I think we're managing a little bit better. We have to because we're we've got a lot of new guys and some a lot of young guys in the lineup as well. You guys kind of caught fire in December, your first year here, and every year now have used this month as kind of a springboard, it seems. But what's been the key to your success, especially on the road? Because I think your, your road record this month over the last four seasons is kind of remarkable. Um, I, I wish I could give you a, a real defined answer, but I, I think we're a team that, that recognizes, you know, we, we like rhythm. I think always, you know, October, November are sort of spotty. But once you get into the December, you're playing every second day. And I think we're a team that just, when we're playing every second day, we get a good rhythm. We've got a, uh, we've been able to play our our systematic game a little bit better, so that it's a little more of a security blanket, and there's a little more trust in in that. I think we're skating better. I think we get our legs in December uh, more so maybe than early in the year. So. I wish I could give you a real more defined answer, but uh, it's been a good month for us uh, for the most part uh, over the, the last uh, few years.
All right, there they are, some of the pregame thoughts from Capitals head coach Barry Trotz earlier today following the Caps morning skate. And again, Philip Grubauer, 2-5-1 on the year. He gets the start tonight for the Capitals. Scott Wedgwood between the pipes for Arizona. Wedgwood, 3-6-3 three, three on the year for the Coyotes. And another potential lineup change for the Caps tonight. Heard him reference could be a game-time decision, but possibility that Taylor Chorney Draws back into the Capitals lineup in place of Madison Bowie. Taylor Chorney has been a healthy scratch for the last 10 games. And Barry Trotz acknowledging earlier in the week his plan, his hope, was to get Taylor Chorney into a game before the Christmas break. So the options are limited. It's either tonight in Arizona or tomorrow night in Vegas. And based on the morning line rushes and deep pairs, uh, there was some reason to believe Taylor Chorney might be in tonight. In place of Madison Bowie, Trotz wouldn't go out and confirm that, but uh, again, a possibility heading into play this evening. Again, the Capitals and Coyotes puck drop tonight just past 9 o'clock Eastern. That means an 8.45 pregame on 106.7 The Fan, 1500 AM and the Capitals radio network. And until then, this is Capstock. We're with you every weekday afternoon at 4 Eastern, except for next week. Next week, we're going to take a little holiday hiatus, but we'll be back in 2018. We'll be back in January. John Walton and myself splitting the hosting duties, so we look forward to that. And again, with today being the final edition of the show in 2017, going to have some fun a little bit later on with the old holiday wish list doing the rounds with the Capitals media. So the Caps feeling good about themselves. Again, winners of four in a row, eight and one in the month of December. They're 17 and six overall if you go back to the start of November. That run of uh, stringing together points has allowed them to climb up the standings into first place in the Metropolitan Division. Coyotes, meanwhile, a complete other story. It has been a struggle for first-year head coach Rick Tockett in Arizona. uh, Took over the club in the offseason, coming off back-to-back Stanley Cup championships as an assistant coach with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, Rick Tockett has been hit with a harsh reality with the Arizona Coyotes, they are 7-24-5 and on the year. Last place overall in the standings. And they are coming off a rough home loss on Tuesday night against the Florida Panthers. Uh, not exactly the uh, elite of the league in the Florida Panthers either. So the Coyotes feel they let one slip away. They were leading Florida 2-0 in the second period. They eventually fell by a 3-2 final. It was the Coyotes' seventh straight loss. They dropped to 0-3 on their current five-game homestand. And afterwards, Rick talking to the Arizona Coyotes, you want to get a sense of what the Capitals are going up against tonight? It's a head coach who's none too pleased with the way his underperforming team has been doing. It's too much. We've been doing that all year, like last five seconds of a period. Yeah, you hate to see that one go in. Um, some head-scratching plays on those goals. It's really... Um, disappointing for me and well, I'm kind of embarrassed for the fans because we had this game and we gave it we gave it to them uh, a couple of individuals I don't understand what they're doing on some of those plays all of a sudden it's um, I'm, it's probably as disappointed I've been on this team all year this tonight for sure makes no sense to me um, but we'll get it right like I said we'll, we're going to weed some people out of here eventually and and get this thing right it's it's it, it hurts and um, it's tough it's a broken we have a broken record you know it's a I can name 15 games where we had the game in hand, and somehow the other team found a way to win, and we found a way to lose it. All right, post-game thoughts there from Rick Tockett. That was following their last game on Tuesday night, so they've had a couple of days to sort of stew over that. And uh, again, it's been a struggle for an Arizona Coyotes team. Not entirely surprising. Maybe it's a surprising to what extent 
They have struggled this year with the uh, losses continuing to mount in the desert. But let's acknowledge this is a rebuilding club. Their leading scorer, for example, in Clayton Keller. We're talking about a 19-year-old rookie there. This is a team with a lot of young talent, uh, particularly up front among the forward group. There was a thought in the offseason with the acquisitions, for example, of a veteran goalie in Antiranta and former New York Ranger Derek Stepan, uh, that there was, you know, some veteran presence here. Nicholas Shalmerson as well on the back end, former Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks. They went out in the offseason and tried to surround the young pups, if you will, with some veterans, some guys with track records of being a part of winning teams. And even though they made the attempt to bring in some of those vets with uh, good track records in their careers, uh, it just hasn't been enough. And the young players still hoping for a little bit more in Arizona. That being said, we should acknowledge an Arizona team which gave the Capitals all they could handle back in early November at Capital One Arena. It was a game which the Capitals eked out a 3-2 win in overtime. John Carlson had the eventual OT winner in that one. So Coyotes may have played the Capitals tough earlier this year, but for the most part, it's been a struggle in the desert this year. We'll see if the Capitals could potentially take advantage of that tonight, a game which at least going in on paper, you have to figure the Capitals have the upper hand. All right, we will take a timeout when we come back. Going to look ahead a little bit. We have the Vegas Golden Knights, as we've mentioned, tomorrow night, Saturday night, if you prefer. First time the Capitals will see the expansion Golden Knights, who are playing like anything but an expansion team this season. They have been impressive. 22-9-2 is the Vegas Golden Knights record, a league best 14-2-1 at home, and certainly a far cry from what the Capitals once experienced as a franchise club back in 74 75 the worst franchise team in NHL history. The worst expansion team, I should say, in NHL history. And uh, we'll chat about that next with Glenn Dreyfus, the author of Legends of Landover, a look into the Capitals' past. We'll do that in just a moment as Caps Talk continues in a moment on Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app. This is Caps Talk. On Caps Radio, 24-7. The Golden Knights can't get one by the end of regulation. It would carry over to a four-on-three power play in overtime. Battle for it along the left corner. No one's come away with it yet. Time continuing to tick off the clock. Five seconds, Hala. Off down to Perron. The Theodore scores! Shane Theodore with 2.3 seconds to go! Wow! Shane Theodore, what an egg! His fourth point of the night, and he scores late. This crowd erupts as the Vegas Golden Knights with 2.3 seconds left. The blast by Shea Theodore. And Dave Kosher and Shea Knighty had the call on Tuesday night. The Vegas Golden Knights television broadcast as Vegas earns another win as they beat the league-leading Tampa Bay Lightning 4-3 in regulation, barely getting it done in regulation, just over two seconds remaining. Heard the highlight there. Shea Theodore capping off a terrific night. He had a goal and a career-best four points in the 4-3 win for Vegas over the Lightning as the Golden Knights improved to 3-0 on their four-game homestand, homestand which will wrap up tomorrow evening when the Capitals visit T-Mobile Arenas. We welcome you back inside the D.C. studios. Ben Raby back with you. Hour number one of this Friday afternoon edition of Caps Talk. A reminder, we'll be joined a little bit later on in this hour by Golden Knights defenseman, Caps alum Nate Schmidt. Looking forward to chatting with him 
at 45 past the hour. But right now we head back to the phones and we say hello to our first guest of the afternoon, Glenn Dreyfus, the author of The Legends of Landover, Long Lost Stories of the Washington Capitals. Glenn, good to hook up with you again. How are you? Just fine. Glad to speak with you and glad the Capitals are playing better than I expected. I think better than uh, a number of folks expected in these parts as well. Nice to see him sitting tied atop the Metropolitan Division, no doubt. But Glenn, I wanted to have you on the show today. Wanted to bring up with the Capitals visiting Vegas tomorrow. All right, we see an expansion team at their best in the Golden Knights. It's come a long way, shall we say, since what the Capitals experienced in the mid-1970s, the 74-75 year, the worst expansion team in NHL history. You chronicled it quite a bit in your book, The Legends of Landover. When you think back to that 74-75 Capitals bunch, they won only 8 out of 80 games. What are some of the bullet points, the stories you recall that you relayed in your book as well? Well, I'll lay a number on you, and as you mentioned, the Capitals took 80 games to win their eighth. The Golden Knights won their eighth game in the ninth game they played. (laughs) So that's about as wide a margin as you can get. And another number is a kind of a indication of uh, inflation. The Capitals paid a $6 million expansion fee. Vegas was $500 million. And if Seattle wants to have an NHL team, we're told the expansion fee will be $650 million. So that's a change as well. But as far as the capitals of 74, 75, the more I dug into it, the more sympathetic I was to what, what they went through. Vegas this is an oversimplification, but basically existing teams could only protect eight skaters and a goalie. In 74, when the Caps were drafting their first team, teams could protect 15 players. And remember, two teams were drafting because the expansion Kansas City Scouts were also drafting players. So the existing NHL teams were extremely Scrooge-like. Uh, They felt that they had been ravaged by previous expansions to Atlanta and Long Island and Buffalo and Vancouver in the past four years. So they really made it hard to grab players off their teams. And so the Capitals had what even they would later describe as a glorified AHL team playing in the NHL. And it's interesting, you started off the top by acknowledging the difference, you know, inflation, of course, having a role in it, but the $500 million Vegas pays for as opposed to the $6 million that Abe Pullen put up to have the Capitals uh, as an expansion team, uh, regardless of what they paid, they weren't getting a whole lot, to your point, maybe, you know, in terms of the talent that was available. And the other thing to keep in mind at the time, you had the World Hockey Association, which was taking players and talent as well. So really the pool was uh, very much limited for the Capitals and the Scouts, as you pointed out. Absolutely. If you think about it, the Knights were the 31st NHL team. Well, back in 1974, with 18 NHL teams and 14 in the WHA at the time, that was 32 professional hockey teams. And the amount of talent that they had to uh, take from was much smaller because 
at that time, about nine of every ten players in the NHL and WHA were from Canada. The United States and Europe and Russia really weren't significant factors. So the player pool was much smaller with 32 pro teams to stock. And that's another factor that made the Capitals' uh, availability of players. There was almost no chance that they could succeed, even though uh, at the time no one knew that. And a few other bullet points regarding that 74-75 expansion team. They had a 17-game losing streak at one point, a 37-game road losing streak they lost their first 37 road games to start that season they're the only team in nhl history to have been shut out more times 12 than games they won eight and they're also the only team in nhl history to have more coaches three than wins on the road as we established just the one so just some perspective there how rough it was and glenn also not only were the the so they, they get the veterans you know the 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 guys with experience they could take in the expansion draft, and clearly the talent wasn't there. But the other side effect of that was they had a first overall pick they used on Greg Jolly, who I think we could say was turned out to be a bust, certainly underachieved based on the expectations of a first overall pick. And then you had another high pick in Mike Marson. What I'm getting at is they, they drafted guys high, but there wasn't anything around to they weren't surrounded by a winning environment by players who could sort of take them under their wings and it was a tough environment for rookies and first round picks guys you want to build your team around they came in and it was a very difficult environment to succeed in they were thrown to the wolves uh, jolly was done no favors by his uh, general manager milt schmidt who compared him to bobby orr that's <laughs> not a comparison you want to make with any first round draft pick but especially one who is forced to play first line minutes instead of uh, being protected first pair minutes for a defenseman so uh, jolly was was not given any help and he also suffered a number of injuries as far as marson went as well as being 19 years old he was the only second uh, african canadian uh, in the nhl the first in 13 years, and even some of his teammates uh, didn't give him the extra support he needed for all the racial insensitivity he faced. And again, as I say, he was 19 years old. These guys needed to be nurtured and protected, and instead they were going up against the top lines on the other team. Uh, let me tell you how sympathetic some of the other stars in the league felt about the Capitals. There was a game a month into their existence when they went into Boston Garden. Bobby Orr had already scored three goals and three assists. It's late in the game, and he's on defense. Dennis Dupere is coming down ice for the Capitals, and Orr actually backs in and backs in on his goalie, Jerry Cheevers, meanwhile shouting at Dupere, shoot, Doopy, shoot. And Dupere got close enough in, or screened Cheevers, and Dupere did score. And later, Cheevers wasn't very happy with number four. He, <laughs> he said to Orr, you can be such a, and then he used a word that starts with P and rhymes with trick. Uh-huh. 
Well, that's funny. That That's funny because that's a little bit. I like that anecdote uh, because that's a little bit different than some of the others I heard. You said suggesting, you know, Bobby Orr and the Bruins may be a little sympathetic to what the Capitals were going for. At the other end of the spectrum, as you know, Glenn, the Capitals, they struggled mightily with, in particular, the Broad Street Bullies in Philadelphia, as a lot of teams did, but the Capitals really had a tough time. And also going up to the Montreal Forum against the Canadians and in doing some of the research for my book and speaking to some of the former players from back then, talking Talking to them about going up to the Montreal Forum and those experiences facing the Montreal Canadiens, you know, during their heyday, they would face them a few years in a row. They faced them at the end of the regular season. And the Canadians had all these, you know, bonuses in their contract if they would score X amount of goals or finish with a certain amount of points. And when they saw the Capitals come to town, heck, they were licking their chops. This was the way they were going to hit their bonuses, hit their, you know, quotas for goals and points during the season. And in many cases, they showed no mercy. There was a Capitals forward named Dave Crisco, and in the pregame skate, he went up to the legendary Montreal defenseman, Larry Robinson, and he smiled and he said to Robinson, what's the over-under on tonight's game? And Robinson said one word, 10. And wouldn't you know the... Canadians outshot the Capitals 47 to 17. They scored five power play goals and they won by a score of yes, 10 to nothing. A perfect 10. Uh, so the Capitals went through a lot of hardships this first season. They, uh, they don't allow teams to play three games and three nights anymore for obvious reasons, but back in 74, 75, they did. So the Capitals had a weekend where they lost 9-4 to to Buffalo on a Friday, 10-3 to at Chicago on a Saturday, and 7-2 to to St. Louis on a Sunday. So it was kind of hard by the middle of the year for a lot of the players to continue to have the motivation that you might expect when you've you know, been eliminated from the playoff race by Christmas. Yeah, unbelievable that first year. So we'll end it on a, a little bit more of a positive note here, Glenn. And it's Glenn Dreyfus joining us here once again on Caps Talk, author of Legends of Landover. Uh, just do a Google search. It'll certainly come up. Legends of Landover, Washington Capitals, it'll come up. And Glenn, uh, ending it more on a positive note here, when we look at that, uh, those initial struggles, and man, oh man, did it take quite a few years for them to finally uh, get their footing. But if you want to say eight years in, when the team finally survives the Save the Caps campaign, and David Poyle is brought in, and 10 days on the job, he makes the big trade for Rod Langway and company, uh, certainly went a long way towards uh, changing the direction of the franchise, but uh, I would say probably into the early 80s when you finally started to get the Mike Gartners, a rookie Scott Stevens, you bring in Rod Langway, you started to see the pieces slowly come together, and we knew it would only be a matter of time, but eventually, at long last, uh, they started to, to steer themselves in the right direction. Well, the Capitals after 74-75, it actually took three or four years. The organization was so far behind that basically after three or four years, they were only up to where an expansion team normally would be. So the fact that the team did survive and did prosper, for those of us who were around in the very beginning, and uh, my first game was watching the Capitals' first uh, shutout. That's the first game I saw live when they beat Kansas City 3 to nothing. And Ron Lowe was the goalie, by the way, mm -hmm. in that game. Um, we always knew that the Capitals could 
get the heart of the city behind them. Uh, they just had to have half an excuse. And so uh, seeing how well they're received, just to know that there's a two-hour daily show online devoted to the Capitals, wow. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just uh, an explosion. It's easier for me to follow the team now from 3,000 miles away than it was when I – uh, lived in suburban Maryland. So uh, I am glad. And we're all just waiting, Ben. The only thing left is number 100 in your book. That's all we've got left to check off. And that would be see the Capitals at long last hoist Lord Stanley's mug and win the Stanley Cup come springtime. Well, appreciate this, Glenn. As always, Glenn Dreyfus, the author of The Legends of Landover, Long Lost Stories of the Washington Capitals. whole lot of funny anecdotes, lighter moments in that book as well. And appreciate this, Glenn. We wish you all the best this holiday season, and uh, I'm sure we'll touch base in the new year, so thank you. Sounds good, and between now and then, I'll be listening. All right, appreciate it. There he is, Glenn Dreyfus, author of The Legends of Landover. We will take a time out. When we come back, we will bring it back to the present. We will head inside the Capitals' dressing room. We'll hear from Lars Eller looking ahead to tonight's game against the Arizona Coyotes. And then coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to be chatting with an old friend, former Caps defenseman now with the expansion Vegas Golden Knights, Nate Schmidt. And we've got a Schmidtuation coming up. We'll chat with Nate a little bit later on in hour number one of this Friday afternoon edition of Caps Talk. Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app. Your afternoon commute just got a whole lot better. This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. Talking capitals with you while you drop your gloves in traffic. Would hate to leave here empty-handed with the way that they've been tonight. Here's Brett Connolly. He scores! Brett Connolly as the pass came from the end wall to the high slot. And Brett Connolly with 3.26 to go has tied this game at three here in Dallas. Oh, my! A one-timer from Connolly right through Bishop. It's a whole new ball game here in Texas. 3-3 with 3.26 left. There it was, the game-tying goal from Brett Connolly, his seventh goal of the season Tuesday night in Dallas late in the third period, setting the stage for Andre Burakovsky's eventual winner in three-on-three overtime as the Capitals earned their fourth win in a row, 4-3 the final in OT against the Dallas Stars on a big night for the Capitals' third line as Burakovsky, Connolly, and Lars Eller combined for three goals and seven points and a plus-seven rating. As we welcome you back inside the D.C. studios, Ben Raby back with you, our number one of this game day edition of Caps Talk getting set for the Capitals and Coyotes and at Gila River Arena as the Capitals getting set to take on the Coyotes. John Walton had a chance to catch up with the aforementioned Lars Eller. Quite a start to the road trip. Quite a start for your line as well. Brett Connolly comes up with a goal. Andre has a big night, comes up with the OT winner to boot at the end there. But uh, the guys on your line and, uh, and yourself certainly getting the mail uh, taken care of here the other night, getting this road trip off to a good start. Yeah, it was uh, good for our line to get uh, on the board and uh, uh, felt good to con- contribute to, uh, to a team win. Uh, 
you know, contributing with some big goals at, uh, at some, some key moments um, felt good. The game for Andres, he gets two goals. He'd been coming back and trying to get it back for a half dozen games. I know confidence is such an important part of it, but for him to be able to see that, you had a front row seat to that, no doubt. Yeah, I think, he, uh, you know, as soon as he got the first goal, his confidence just went way up and, uh, you know, uh, and he gets another two points. Uh, so hopefully he can uh, keep that going. Um, it definitely did some wonders for him last game. Two straight wins in Dallas and a couple in overtime. It's a nice way to start this road trip too. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it wasn't wasn't an easy uh, place to play, uh, and historically I think it hasn't been for this team either. So uh, it was very very important for us, uh, and uh, you know just feeling good about ourselves going into the here to to the next two games. Uh, was big. So Arizona here tomorrow and a team that is struggling, no doubt, but the fast skating team, we saw them back at Capital One Arena in early November. They've got a lot of offensive weapons, and from a defensive standpoint, it's a lot to be ready for with these guys on the other side, just given the team speed they have. Yeah, there's there's no easy two points. Uh, I think it's going to be, uh, we, we are going to need to be out on our toes and play, uh, execute our game and play play good 60 minutes uh, to beat this team. Uh, they got some they got some guys up front that are uh, you know that really can take. Uh, uh, you know when they get the chances, they'll they'll uh, they'll score. We saw that last game. Uh, so you know, we, uh, I don't think we can can go into this one. Think it's going to be easier because it's the Coyotes. Uh, we're going to need to play some of our best. Holding on to first place right now, and a couple of games here that are going to come real quick, and then the Christmas break coming up. But a chance with a good finish here to feel pretty good about where this team is at Christmas time. Which going back to November, uh, you guys have done a lot of hard work in the last month, and a chance to try and finish it off here for a little bit of time off. Yeah, we we definitely been trending in the right direction, uh, especially the last month here. Uh, a little bit similar to last season, I feel like. Uh, um, every, you know, I think some of our, you know, the young defensemen are going. Uh, everybody's kind of slotting into the, to uh, to their places uh, in their roles, and and the lines are seem to have some um, consistency now that uh, everybody's healthy. So I think that that helps us too. All right, there they are. Some of the pregame thoughts. Lars Eller with John Walton looking ahead to tonight's game against the Arizona Coyotes Capitals next to last game before they break they visit the Vegas Golden Knights tomorrow and we head to Vegas next we're going to hook up with a old friend Nate Schmidt former Caps defenseman now with the Vegas Golden Knights looking forward to chatting with Schmidty we'll do that next Caps Talk returns in a moment Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app Finally, a sports talk show in Washington completely dedicated to hockey. You're welcome. What the run? This is Caps Talk. Caps Radio 24-7, baby. All capitals, all the time. Call the show at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5 right now or reach us on Twitter at Capitals Radio. Golden Knights looking for a goal to tie it. James Neal off down to Schmidt. Works it back on top, Neil Long, wrist shot, tag, runs up, rebound to Schmidt, score! Nick Schmidt on the follow-up chance with a minute 12 left to tie the game at one. All right, Dave Gosher had the call. The Vegas Golden Knights television broadcast had to dig into the archives a little bit for that one. That was back in October 
The second game of the season for the Golden Knights. Nate Schmidt with the game-tying goal late in the third period set the stage for an overtime win. It was a 2-0 start for the Vegas Golden Knights. And little did we know, they were just warming up as they now are 22-9-2. The best start to a season for an expansion team. Capitals will get their first look at the Golden Knights tomorrow at T-Mobile Arena. And they will be reunited. They will see on the other side of the ice a familiar face in former Caps defenseman Nate Schmidt, who we are pleased to welcome into the show. Good to have Nate back on the airwaves here in D.C. Nate, it's Ben Raby. How are you? Very good. How are you doing? Things are great. I appreciate it. I imagine they are. I imagine they are. Tell us what it's been like. What's it like right now being a hockey player in Vegas, being a Golden Knight, and I imagine you're loving life. You know, it's it's a lot different than what we all expected, which is... uh, it's been a special ride for us so far. Just with, you know, everything that's that's happened between you know the expansion draft to the summer and to you know tragic events in October one and and just kind of coming together as a city and as a as a team as well, and now playing as well as we have been. It's been uh, it's been awesome. Our our building is pretty is, is pretty electric. You know, in Vegas you don't really do anything. You know, you do it about as all in as it gets. So that's the reason why it's been it's been a real fun ride so far. I saw the atmosphere the other night. It's coming through on the TV. That game the other night, the win over the Tampa Bay Lightning, <laughs> Shea Theodore scoring in the final seconds of the third period. How do you describe the atmosphere at T-Mobile Arena? And uh, I guess the fan base as a whole. There's a big curiosity factor in you know who exactly ma- makes up the fan base in Vegas, if you will. <laughs> you know what? It's it's been incredible. I mean, like I said, it's just it's almost like another show. Uh, <laughs> like you go down the street, see a Cirque du show, and then. Come see the Golden Knights. It's uh, it's very similar, and um, man, it felt like a playoff game. You know, the last couple of times we played Pittsburgh and now um, Tampa recently, and I can't expect anything less than when the Caps are in town tomorrow night. So it's been it's been incredible. I mean, our we, we get a lot of away fans. You know, a lot of people don't want to come down. So, mm-hmm. so we, uh, but uh, at the same time, it's been it's been an electric atmosphere. What's the adjustment or the opportunity been like for you in terms of, you know, let's call it for what it is, your time here, you were sort of a little bit lower down on the depth chart than you are right now in Vegas. I know, you know, eating up the minutes there among the time on ice leaders with the Golden Knights, this has been uh, a great opportunity for you to uh, to really develop in the career here. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I cherish my time in Washington and I had a great, I had a blast with a great group of guys as well, but um, now here in Vegas, how much just the role has expanded. You know, being relied on to play against other teams' top lines and and be able to, you know, each and every night, you know, contribute offensively and and you know work on the power play and the PK as well. Um, just something that I had had the opportunity to stick on. You know, we had Washington. You know, had a great power play for so long. It's just hard to tweak that. <laughs> to tweak mm-hmm. that, it's hard to get minutes on. So it, it's been great. I mean, we. We have a really blue collar group here that just wants to work hard and, and work for each other. Because not that everyone feels a little bit slighted, but just the, you know the nature of the beast. Uh, what is you know being unprotected or or getting traded for an asset, you know that type of thing, um, which is what our group feels. Uh, you know, it's kind of the thing around the locker room. And I, I heard George McPhee reference this on an interview a few weeks ago on Sirius XM. He said that an unexpected or surprising development he's discovered as the season has gone along is it seems every night there's someone in your room 
who has a little extra motivation, perhaps going to what you were just talking about. I imagine tomorrow night, Nate, you'll be pretty amped up to face some familiar faces on the other side. You just look at the homestand, right? Flurry going up against the Penguins. You had Marcia So and Riley Smith against the Panthers and your head coach, Gerard Gallant, of course. Every night, it seems there is somebody on your team in that dressing room who I'm sure is uh, licking their chops and uh, amped up to go a little bit. Yeah, it's awfully interesting. You, you hit the nail right on the head there because, you know, each game you have somebody that's going to, you know, you can rally around because you know that they're going to be going. Their legs are going to be moving. They're going to be they're going to be buzzing up and down the ice. And you can always look for it. And everyone, you know, we've gotten, uh, you know, a, a group here that's that's battling for each other and realize that, you know, each night there's somebody that needs a little extra from, you know, from their line mates and they're there to help. And that's the reason why guys are fighting so hard for each other is understanding how important these games are to the guys that against their former teams. What surprised you with the the run you guys have been on, either a contributing factor or something that had we told you months ago your team would be, you know, in first place in the Pacific, twenty two nine and two. I'm sure you would have taken it. Not sure that you would have bought it. What has surprised you in terms of the development here? You know, it's just I hear you. I mean, <laughs> if you were to tell me that, I probably wouldn't. You know, I don't know if I would have believed you. Um, Heck, there's twenty twenty six the other teams yeah. that would take that record. Yeah, right. You know, I it was uh, it's. I just think it's what it was is we had a bunch of guys that just needed an opportunity to shine and, and a little bit more, you know, a little bit more water, a little more sunshine to grow and, and have, you know, an opportunity to really, you know, make themselves into a player that we all hoped and dreamed that each, you know, I could become. And, and I'd like to, you know, lock myself into that category of thinking that, hey, it's a little extra time or a little extra trust or whatever it may be um, from the staff that each guy is kind of thrust in their roles that, you have to, you kind of have to rise to the occasion. And as a group, we've been doing it together, and that's what's been so much fun about the whole, the whole process is that you can see guys growing every day, and and they're loving it, and we're just having fun. We're, I mean, we're not still not in looking at it the way, oh, you know, we got to make a run or things. We're just understanding that, you know, we're just kind of, uh, we're the team that's just playing well for the time being and having fun while doing it. It certainly comes across that way. Nate Schmidt, former Caps defenseman, now with the Golden Knights, joining us here on Caps Talk. Uh, going back to your time with the Capitals for just a moment here, Nate, the postseason uh, run that you had last year, as a reminder to our listeners, began the Toronto series as a healthy scratch. You got into the lineup when Carl Alsner was injured, and you didn't come out. You kept your spot, and you impressed a lot of folks with your play in the postseason. Uh, how much did that do for you, and how much do you believe, you know, I'm sure George McPhee and company are looking at your whole body of work, but <laughs> that may have, raised your, may have raised your stock level a little bit, the fact that you did what you were able to do at that level last spring. Yeah, you know, it was, it was a unique situation. We go and get the best free agent available, you know, and Kevin Shattenkirk. And, you know, it's it's tough. You, you look at our roster, our D, and you're looking at a couple Olympians, a couple World Cup guys. And it's, you're, it's tough. And for me, it was it was hard to, you know, get used to that. But you understand that you had to make sure you were ready at any time because, as we saw, you, you had to make sure that you are ready to come playoff time. And for me, it was – you know, I had nothing really to lose, you know, because if I didn't play well, I was going you know, to be bad right back to where I was anyway. So I said to myself, just go out and, you know, have some fun and just play the way that I want to play and, and uh, just do the right things. And, you know, things progressed. And, um, you know, I had a, it, was a, it was a good run up until the point where, you know, we played Pittsburgh. And I think that it's just something that, uh, you know, now, now a team in mind, you know, I've 
I told you, Mark Andre Fleury, for a long time. I was like, I'm not going to like you. I mean, you know, even though, like, <laughs> you know, even though you know, it's just, you've caused me too much pain. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, you know, it's been uh, it's been it's been great for me. Yeah, I've really enjoyed my time, and and I have for sure. He's a, he's an awesome guy. You know, it's tough to hear that, but uh, he's out of that. He's out of the bad black and gold. He's in the good um, go black and gold now. So <laughs> that's awesome. So f- final thing here, Nate, just to put a bow on it. When you think about the the experience of playing in Vegas and being, I, I love what you said at the top. It's almost like it's another show now. It's almost like you've got Cirque du Soleil. You've got all the entertainment. Now it's another show in town in the Golden Knights. What is the most Vegas thing that you have been a part of or seen with your teammates? Something that when you take a step back, you're like, yep, here we are. We're, we're in Vegas. All right. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's going down. You know, the lock, we we park outside the rink, and you're walking in behind New York, New York, and and under Manly Bay, and all that stuff. So you're still, you know, you just, you, every time you walk in, you're like, God, that's right. We're we're down. You know, we're in Las Vegas. Like this is the real thing. And then even at our games, it's just it's very electric, and they have all sorts of you know um, performers and missions and all that good stuff. So it's it's pretty uh, it's a pretty magical place. It's a pretty exciting atmosphere to be a part of. And a certain uh, home ice advantage with that fourteen two and one record, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, guys, and you know, it, it, we've been feeding off the crowd, that's for sure. And, and especially, you know, besides the last two games, they've been scoring the first goal, which is, you know, as you know, you guys know very well in Washington, and you score the first goal, it's you know, it's tough to come back on a team that's playing well, and that's what we've been trying to do. Well, it's been fun to watch even from here, and we wish you the best of luck. Continued success, Nate. We'll look forward to watching it tomorrow, and thanks for joining us here on Late Notice. Appreciate it, Nate. Yeah, no no problem. Thank you, guys. All right, there he is, Nate Schmidt, former Caps defenseman, now with the Vegas Golden Knights here joining us on Caps Talk. That was awesome. I love the anecdote there about Marc-Andre Fleury as well. In terms of he goes up to Mark Andre first time he sees him he says you know I'm not supposed to like you I am not a fan of what you did to our Capitals over the years and then uh, yeah he's come around I guess Mark Andre Fleury doing good things with the Vegas Golden Knights as is our old friend Nate Schmidt looking forward to seeing the old 88 tomorrow night in Vegas Golden Knights uh, black and gold all right we will take a timeout when we come back going to reset bring it back to the Capitals a little bit going to hear from John Carlson in hour number two of the show and also going to hear from kelly rudy 15-year nhl goalie now an analyst with hockey night in canada he is the author of a new book this holiday season as well we'll look back at that and a whole lot more as hour number two of caps talk continues in a moment camps radio 24 7 and the caps mobile app Your show, Caps Talk, by the fans, for the fans. Afternoons, Monday through Friday, 4 to 6 Eastern, on Washington's home for Caps Hockey. Caps Radio, 24-7. Here's Ben Raby. All right, welcome back inside the D.C. studios, hour number two of this Friday afternoon edition of Capstock game day edition of the show as we get set for the Capitals and the Arizona Coyotes, the front end of back-to-backs for the Capitals as they will continue the roadie tomorrow night 
taking on the Vegas Golden Knights at T-Mobile Arena. And how awesome was that last segment, getting the chance to hook up with uh, Nate Schmidt on very late notice. So our thank you to uh, the folks with the media relations at the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, making Nate available to join us. And I uh, love that anecdote from Nate Schmidt about meeting Marc-Andre Fleury for the first time after the expansion draft and uh, going up to the former Penguins goaltender and saying, uh, you know what, I don't know uh, I don't know if we could be friends here. You caused us a lot of hardships when we were in Washington, you know, ending our season two years in a row like that. But uh, I guess Nate's come around. Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, supposedly a very likable guy, one of the more popular personalities in the NHL and uh, doing good things, both Fleury and Schmidt with the expansion Vegas Golden Knights. That was great stuff from Nate right there. Uh, All right, we are going to turn our attention back to the Capitals right now. Perhaps you've heard the uh, holidays are upon us. Tis the season. A lot of holiday wish lists going out there these days. And with this being the final edition of Caps Talk in 2017, it's what we like to call our Christmas edition of the show, our holiday edition of the show. We did the rounds earlier this week at the Kettler Capitals Iceplex with... A lot of names that are familiar to listeners of this program, people who join the show on a regular basis, fellow beat reporters who cover the Capitals, the likes of Rob Carlin with NBC Sports Washington, J.J. Regan, Tarek Elbashir, Steve Wino, Tom Galitti from NHL.com, et cetera, et cetera. And we went up to each of them with the hard-hitting question of what would you put on the Capitals' holiday wish list? What are you going to put under their tree? What does this team need? Granted, they're a first-place team right now. Maybe they don't need a whole lot. But if they have aspirations of a deep postseason run, Maybe there are one or two things you could put under the Christmas tree for the Capitals, hypothetically speaking, of course. Uh, Let's hear the answers. In montage form, we give you the annual installment of the Capitals' holiday wish list from the Capitals' media contingent. This is Jay Beagle. Happy holidays and a happy new year from the Washington Capitals. Alan May from NBC Sports Washington, the Capitals' holiday wish list. If you have to make a list, you have to stuff something under the holiday tree. It's Alan May putting there. I think health and the ability to play hockey in June. And we haven't seen that in my entire tenure here. It's only happened once in the Capitals' history. And I think good health and the conviction to play hockey all the way to late June. And with Steve Wino from the Associated Press, the holidays upcoming, the Capitals holiday wish this this year. What's in the stocking stuffer? What is under the tree for the Washington Capitals? For a team that had never been hurt in previous years and was the healthiest team in the league, good health. Good health from now until May, June? What, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, not having a TJ Oshie go out. Not having a, a, a Matt Niskanen go out. Because this Capitals team, fully healthy, is as good as anybody in the East, except for maybe Tampa. But if this team stays healthy and doesn't have necessarily the depth to make up for injuries, uh, from top to bottom, this is a good enough team to be a Stanley Cup contender as long as they're healthy. Continuing the rounds with J.J. Regan from NBC Sports Washington. The holidays approaching. The Capitals' holiday wish list this year includes... 
I would say more experience for Madison Bowie and Christian Juice. If they can get like three years worth of experience in the next few months, that'd be good for the Capitals. Right now they're playing well, but when you come comes to playoff time, you're talking about two rookies in your top six. Coaches are going to game plan around that. It's harder to shelter them like you have been in the regular season. So I worry that they may get exposed a little bit in the playoffs. So if they could get about three years worth of experience for both of those players in the next few months before April, that, that would be my on the wish list. John Walton, the voice of the Capitals. All right, John, the holiday wish list. I know you're always generous this time of year, doing the rounds and shopping for the Capitals, something you could put under their tree, hypothetically speaking anyways. This hockey club, what is on the holiday wish list this time around? You know, if you'd asked this question a month ago, I would have said the list was probably a lot longer than it is right now. Things going a lot better for the team. I'm going to go with a 25-goal season for Jacob Brana because I think if we would have said at the beginning of the season, what did the Caps have at a team like, oh, I don't know, Pittsburgh didn't have? And that was a guy like Jake Gensel who stepped in and did such a great job. I guess even beyond 25 goals, some goal scoring that comes after 82 games and in the postseason. But I think Jacob Brown is the key to a lot because if you have him doing that on the second line, it trickles down to the rest of the roster. It means that the first line is as formidable as the second. Jacob Brana, 25. I'll take more. But uh, if I'm able to bestow anything upon this team, that's what I would hope for. All right, continuing the rounds and with Tom Galiti of NHL.com going holiday shopping for the local professional hockey team. Capitals holiday wish list this year will include? I would say top four defensemen. Uh, they still are missing that kind of after losing Arl Alsner and, and losing Nate Schmidt in the, obviously in the expansion draft. And they're trying to fit some young guys in there. But the way they are right now, some of the chances they give up, I think they still need a, a guy to play in their top four who can play some play some more minutes. And that, you know, going to the to the playoff push the second half of the season, that, that could really help them. See if that could fit under the tree. The top four defensemen for the Capitals. And a mangle and a jingle and the beat. That's the jingle bell. That's the jingle bell. That's the jingle bell rock. With the jolliest of them all, Tarek El-Bashir from NBC Sports Washington. The Capitals holiday wish list this year would include... I'm going to go with improved and sustained health. This is a team that doesn't have the kind of depth that it had in previous years. Uh, they've already had some uh, some pretty bad injuries so far this season. Uh, 60 some odd man games lost, only 48 last year. If this team can stay healthy down the stretch, I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs. And it's Rob Carlin, the host of Caps Extra podcast on NBC Sports Washington. The Capitals holiday wish list this year, according to Rob, includes what? Well, I think the one thing I want to give the Caps more than anything, really specifically for Alex Ovechkin, is a big float. A float to stand on and wave to the crowd in a parade in downtown D.C. I want the guy who's the greatest natural goal scorer of our generation, who thrilled the crowd with an overtime game winner against the Ducks, in which I said, I'm not sure he's the only guy on the planet that could have scored that goal. 
but he might be the only guy on the planet who could have scored that goal. I want that guy to finally ride in a float downtown DC and wave to the crowd and hold up that Stanley Cup trophy that would cap off one of the great careers of all time. And there it was, an annual tradition. Capitals media contingent with the holiday wish list for the Washington Capitals. Heard quite a few requests for some good health over the second half of the season for the Capitals as they eye another Metropolitan Division. And perhaps as Rob Carlin alluded to right there, I like that one. Get a float under the tree this year. Why? Because you might need it in June, hopefully. For Alex Ovechkin and company as they ride down Pennsylvania Avenue. I like that. A little creativity from Rob Carlin going outside the box. Thanks to all of our guests there. Rob Carlin, Tarek El-Bashir, Alan May, J.J. Regan, Tom Galitti, Steve Wino, and John Walton as well. A whole lot of fun there. All right, we will take a timeout. Still to come in hour number two at Capstock, we'll hear from John Carlson. A look back at the NHL's Plays of the Week. And when we come back, chatting with Kelly Rudy, 15-year NHL vet, now with Hockey Night in Canada. As Capstock continues... In a moment, the holiday edition, Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app. Call us at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5. We got a pretty good high-scoring offense. Um, I think we have the right coach with seven plays. So now it seems like everybody's firing on all cylinders. I, mean, I think they have a deeper team than they've ever had before. I'm thinking we're going to do real well. I'm expecting wonderful things for the Caps this year. This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. All right, welcome back inside the D.C. studios. Friday afternoon edition of Caps Talk, game day edition of the show, as we get you set for the Caps and the Coyotes. Also, our Christmas edition of the show, final episode of 2017. As we remind you, we'll be off next week. There will still be plenty of content on Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app. We'll be counting down the top 10 games of the first half of the season so far, so Look forward to that next week. And, of course, we'll have all the game coverage as well as the Capitals. You know, Caps talk may be off, but we still have games next week. Uh, After the three-day holiday break, Capitals will be back at it uh, right away on uh, what day of the week is the 27th? I believe that's Wednesday. Doing this at the top of my head. Yeah, Wednesday the 27th. Capitals will visit the New York Rangers. And then the next night, Thursday the 28th, if you prefer, they'll be back at Capital One Arena taking on the Boston Bruins. We'll see if the Capitals can complete a regular season series sweep of the Bruins for the fourth consecutive year as the Caps with that 11-game winning streak against Boston. So, uh, yeah, here's the schedule upcoming. Tonight in Arizona, tomorrow in Las Vegas, then the three-day holiday break, and then in New York against the Rangers next Wednesday, big matchup in the Metropolitan Division, and then back home next Thursday against the Boston Bruins. Uh, We're going to have more Caps talk in just a moment. We'll hear from uh, John Carlson a little bit later on in the show, but... Right now, I want to steer things in a little bit of a different direction. Had the chance uh, earlier this season to catch up with former NHL goaltender Kelly Rudy. Played 15 seasons in the NHL in the 1980s and 90s, primarily with the New York Islanders and LA Kings. Also had a brief appearance with the San Jose Sharks late in his career. Kelly Rudy, now an analyst with Hockey Night in Canada and Rogers Sportsnet north of the border. And he is also the author of a book, Calling the Shots, Ups, Downs, and Rebounds, My Life in the Great Game of Hockey, written by Kelly Rudy, 
with Wayne Gretzky writing the forward. And uh, earlier this season, I had a chance to catch up with Kelly Rudy and began our talk by uh, discussing a certain game he was a part of as a member of the New York Islanders, which may hit home with some Capitals fans. The old Easter epic, four overtimes in Game 7 as the Islanders eliminated the Capitals in Landover and uh, Kelly Rudy sharing his memories on that four-overtime win. All right, so first thing, Kelly, going back to your 15-year NHL career, among the highlights for you, I'm sure, doesn't necessarily have great memories in these parts for Capitals fans, but 1987, the Easter epic, the four-overtime win the Islanders had over the Capitals in Landover, 73 saves for yourself, Kelly. Have spoken over the years to quite a few Capitals players about that game. I'm curious your memories about that game and about a comeback in the series itself. The Islanders down three games to one before ultimately rallying on that memorable Saturday night slash Sunday morning for yourself. Well, what I remember about that series is going back to uh, game five when, as you said, we were down 3-1 and a friend of mine was covering uh, uh, that series for the New York uh, uh, daily news, I believe, and on the way to the rink in the morning, or maybe after the morning skate, he said something to me uh, like, well, what are you going to do this summer? So he was implying that uh, the Capitals were going to beat us in Game 5, and that kind of annoyed me. Not that it it uh, it uh, encouraged me or anything to be better or anything, but it just kind of annoying that that's what people thought, that for sure the series is over. But I will have to say the Capitals were playing great at the time. I mean, we swept... Uh, or, I mean, we uh, split the t- first two games, and then we went back home, and the Capitals were amazing. They beat us both games on Long Island. So we went there, and it was a big task to uh, win game five. We did. We barely hung on. And uh, then game uh, six on uh, Long Island was uh, more high scoring. I believe it ended 5-4 or something. So we were able to fight back into the series and, and get ready for game seven, which is always exciting. Uh, it was my first ever Game 7 in the National Hockey League, so that had a, a, another degree of importance. But it was so cool to play in that Game 7 and, and all that pressure. But it was exciting. For some reason, it wasn't a nervous sort of pressure. It was kind of like a fun pressure. And uh, you might recall the Capitals had a great first period. They ended up uh, scoring a late goal in the first period. Mike Gartner jammed in a rebound, yeah. of which I was really mad at myself because it was a – too big a juicy rebound for him and uh that's one i should have stopped in that period they badly outshot us that period uh and then we were able to sort of get back into it in the second period i think it was pat flatley that scored a wrister to make it 1-1 then they jumped ahead uh grant martin i think uh made it 2-1 we were being outshot after he scored 27 or 24 to 7 uh but we were able we were very resilient Brian Trache was playing with a separated shoulder. He scored late in the third period on a strange backhand. Um, and then at that point, I thought, like, the Capitals were outplaying us after uh, 60 minutes of regulation. But after that, I thought we were the better team. We had way more quality scoring chances in the overtimes. I can't believe how Bob Mason didn't let anything in before that. Some of our guys had unbelievable opportunities. Anyways, we ended up winning on that amazing goal by Pat LaFontaine, but it wouldn't have been scored without Gordonine pinching in from the point. Yeah. Dale Henry standing in front of the net, providing the screen, and then Pat with that amazing turnaround shot. But all I remember after that, Ben, is just how tired we were. I mean, I don't know what the Capitals remember about it, but 
after uh, the celebration, the handshake, and a little bit of media, I took off my skates and immediately, because I was so dehydrated, my toes actually curled under. That's how tired and, and dehydrated I was. So what did I do immediately thereafter? I had two cold beers, which wasn't the best idea because it went right to my head. But, so those are my thoughts about that. Other than, you know, from a personal standpoint, I think it kind of put me on the map in the hockey world. Like I was more of a big time goalie. And so that was kind of cool for me. I was because of that game and that experience, I was invited to play for Team Canada in the 87 Canada Cup that fall. So it, it changed my world for sure. There's no question about that. So many tidbits and anecdotes in there. Appreciate that, Kelly. And it's interesting you reference, you remember the Islanders having the better of the scoring chances once overtime got started and all the overtimes that followed. Talking to a lot yeah. of the Capitals over the years, they beat themselves up, at least they do, over the missed opportunities they had, the goalposts a few of them hit, the odd man yeah. rushes they had. And they say it was like a rugby game. There, there were no wins. There were no penalties called in any of the overtimes and it was just anything went to it was almost like the wild west i think bob gold once told me yeah you know what he's exactly right i i watched it recently like by recently i'm going to say a couple of years ago on youtube one night everybody went to bed and i kind of stumbled upon it and i thought hey this would be kind of cool to watch it again so i am andy van helman was the referee and you're right he let everything go and he decided that the uh, players were going to decide the score, not a not an official, not a, a, a cheesy call or something. So um, I, I was kind of shocked by the style of play back then, though, because it was really rough and tumble and everybody was hooking and holding. I am uh, kind of shocked by how everybody was so determined and they somehow found the energy. I mean, even in the second and and triple overtime their guys were making a remarkable plays just through sheer hard work and determination it was quite phenomenal really to watch do you remember the intermissions uh, not really i remember how quiet our dressing room was like we didn't have much uh, left and uh, we were pretty focused on just trying to regain some energy and and put some fluids in our body back then i, I don't recall any but i don't think there's any one that, uh, you know, I don't think we were into nutrition, like bringing in pizza or anything like power bars. I don't even know if they existed back then. And so uh, I just recall just trying to stay quiet and not to expend any energy with, uh, uh, with you know, talking and excitement and all that. It was just, man, I got to get ready here and focus early. A classic, no doubt, Capitals outshoot the Islanders 75-57. Islanders win 3-2 in the fourth overtime, Game 7, 1987. Talking, of course, of the Easter epic. It's Kelly Rudy joining us here on Capstock, author of Calling the Shots, Ups, Downs, and Rebounds, My Life of the Great Game of Hockey by Kelly Rudy, the forward from Wayne Gretzky. And Kelly, years later, you're with the LA Kings, and I wonder when, when you stack them up against each other, imagine the Game 7 Easter epic is, is maybe your career best, but Game 7 Campbell Conference Final against the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's a game Wayne Gretzky himself has said was his best game of his career. Your memories of, of that night in 1993 and getting a win at Maple Leaf Gardens to go to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time in your career. Well, that was so cool. I mean, um, have a chance for any Canadian to have a chance to play on Hockey Night in Canada on a Saturday Game 7 in the historic Maple Leaf Gardens. It just doesn't get any better than that. I remember, I don't know, Ben, if you were ever in the dress, visitor's dressing room in Maple Leaf Gardens, but it was... Wasn't tiny. big. So, right. It was, yeah, it was extremely small, maybe the smallest in the entire league. But nonetheless, it still had a really cool 
feel about it just because of the players that you know have been in that dressing room before and, and all that's gone on in that building. So uh, prior to every single game, I had this real um, extensive stretching routine. So, uh, But the dressing room was too small. There wasn't a spot on the floor, really. So I went outside the dressing room always, and I'd have this mat or towels, I'd said, uh, spread out. And uh, I just recall stretching outside for about 20 minutes before getting ready and just thinking about what an amazing experience. Once again, it wasn't a nervousness, although there's nervous uh, energy in your butterflies, but it wasn't like overwhelming, like it's taking over in a negative way. I recall stretching and going, this is just absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to be on Hockey Night in Canada Saturday night playing to see who's going to go to uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. And it was so surreal, so amazing, and ended up winning that. I'm shocked that Wayne says, and I know I heard him say that, that it's his best game ever, but considering what Wayne's accomplished, that's something. But he was on fire that day. All, another memory that comes to mind, I made the, the most timely save of my entire career. It wasn't the best save, but most timely. So we had a 4-3 lead uh, with about, or no, I'm sorry, it was 3-3 with about seven minutes to go. And uh, Peter Zezel had a chance right in the slot, and he took a slap shot, and I made a great glove save uh, to preserve the tie. Moments later, Mike Donnelly would score the go-ahead goal, and, of course, Wayne Gretzky scored the 5-3 goal, which turned out to be the winner. Yeah. But I, I remember Wayne scored that 5-3 goal, and his dad, you might recall, Ben, was ill and had been uh, sick for a couple of years, I believe. And he was on his road to recovery to a certain extent. And he was in the stands. I kind of knew where he was. And I caught a glimpse of Wayne coming back to the bench and making this gesture to his dad about the celebration. And it was very emotional. And I had to gather my thoughts because I almost wish I didn't see that because I was, I was caught up in their celebration. And it was something that kind of unnerved me for a minute. So I had to sort of refocus. Dave Ellett ended up scoring on me with, I think, just about a minute to go to make the the, uh, the end even more dramatic. But I remember saying to Luke Robitaille, he came over to me after the final bus, buzzer went, and I, I, I can't say the exact words, Ben, because people <laughs> might get offend, offended by what I'm saying, but we're, I'm going, you can picture, you can add in your own words, but I'm going, we're going to the Stanley Cup final, we're going to the final. I repeated it three times, and then he looked at me, and his eyes were like saucers, he goes, oh, and then he said his own swear words and stuff. It was, it, it, it was a realization at that point that Luke and I had never been to the finals that were, or I was, but as a third goalie my first year at the Islanders, but as a starting goaltender. So it was a, it was a real cool moment between Luke and I. That is so funny you reference that because just months ago I heard a very similar story from Oli Kolzig. I asked him for his reaction. It was years later in 98 when Kolzig and the Capitals reached the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time. They did so after Joey Juno. You may recall he had an overtime game winner in Buffalo. Yep. So it was an overtime game winner. And I asked Ole what was his reaction when he saw the puck go in. And he said first he's worried they're going to video review it. But when he realized it was the real deal, all he kept saying out loud to no one in particular was, we're going to the finals. We're going to the Stanley Cup Finals. We're going over and over again. I don't know if he had the colorful language, but <laughs> it, your story just, it, it, it rings a bell. It's Exactly what, what Ole Kulzik said years later. So what, one, one quick follow-up, one final thing on that 93. When you talk about Gretzky and, and his saying it was his best game of his career and he had so many accomplishments and great games, you, we wonder maybe why that one sticks out. 
you reference his dad at the time, and I wonder for Wayne, too, he had battled some some back injuries at that point in his career. I kind of feel like it was the first time in his career where maybe he was dealing with, with some adversity. And if I'm not mistaken, you, you guys weren't heavily favored that season to, to reach a Stanley Cup final, and it was probably a, you know, a, big, a big point in his career to, to get L.A. to the Cup final for the first time in his career. It was an interesting year, Ben. So how that year started off, we were told in training camp that Wayne – uh, had that back injury. It was so severe, in fact, that we were told that it could possibly end his career. So that's how emotional that might have been for Wayne. So we were lucky enough in January to find out that uh, he was going to return and that uh, it wasn't maybe quite as severe as everybody uh, thought uh, originally. But there was another thing that happened that year that I got off to my best start ever, and then I went right in a ditch in December and, and January. So I would suspect that that's one of the reasons why people thought that we weren't uh, a favorite. It, it turned out to be a, a monumental battle for me to get back uh, playing well. Um, it was a battle for my teammates to stick with me. Uh, I've always been grateful for that. I've always been grateful for uh, the support I had from Barry Melrose and, and Cap Raider. They got me in touch with uh, Tony Robbins. And Tony helped me uh, on a personal level to uh, regain my uh, or recapture my form. So it, it was a strange year, a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And so for us to finally make the finals, I just want to go back, though, Ben, to what something you said about Kolzig and that overtime goal and how he was wondering whether it was going to be uh, reviewed. That was my exact thought after Pat LaFontaine scored in the Easter Epic. I, I hesitated. I didn't put my arms in the air for, I bet, at least two seconds, maybe more, because I was just unsure if the goal was going to be uh uh, allowed, and I didn't want myself to let my guard down in case they're, they're going to review it for some reason or whatever. So I was maybe the last guy on the ice to celebrate. I just I had to make sure that I stayed in the moment. And then when it, I was finally sure that the goal was allowed, I'm sure my reaction would have been like Kolzik, like, oh, okay, now I can relax and the game is finally over and, and uh, in a positive way for us. Well, interesting you say that because I think Ole was referencing it too because late 90s, 98, it was the whole toe in the crease, skate in the right. crease. And yeah. I, I wonder too, I know a topic in your book as well is, is sort of how the goaltending has changed and the goaltending has gotten better. You know, the equipment has certainly contributed to that and the goaltending coaching, but also the rules have changed a little bit, perhaps a little bit more protective. But your thoughts on, on the way the position has changed from, you know, back in say the late 80s, early 90s compared to, to what it has developed over the last 30 years oh yeah it's it's not even close to the same position it's uh so fun to watch these guys uh, i wish to a certain degree that uh, we would have been able to play that way but frankly our equipment wasn't good enough and that uh, in large part held us back when you think of the goaltender of today's world they're never afraid i mean how often do they ever get hurt by a shot it's it's almost never uh, whereas we were often injured or at least stunned by a shot. I recall when I was uh, my draft year going way back, 1978, my coach uh, in Medicine Hat, after a game in Billings, Montana, we had uh, Billings was in the Western Hockey League, I think, for a couple of years. And so anyways, after the game in Billings, uh, my coach, Pat Janelle, in, uh, introduces me to a legendary hockey man by the name of Rudy Pillis. Now, going back before here recently where Chicago won a bunch of Stanley Cups, Rudy was the uh, the last coach to win a Stanley Cup as the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. So here's this legendary figure. I believe he might have even been the general manager now of the Chicago Blackhawks. He's here to visit with me. And he said something like, you know, Kelly, I kind of like the way that you play, but at times you look like you're scared of the puck. 
And my first reaction was, yeah, it hurts. <laughs> like, we were hurt all the time. I, I, I was scared of the puck often. I can recall, and I'm sure many of the guys that played in the National Hockey League, like I did in the 80s and 90s, there would be times my toes were so beaten up and sore and bruised and battered that a guy would take a shot along the ice on me in practice, and I would honestly, I'd lift my foot up because I didn't want to, I didn't want to make the save because I my toes were hurting so much. So players today, or goaltenders today, have no issue with that. They don't even know what that's like, and I'm not saying that that they should. I'm just saying that's the one of the most dramatic differences that they're allowed to go down on their knees, and they're all tough or tall guys. And they allow the equipment to take the shot, and they don't even shrug their shoulders or feel it. I mean, that wasn't our case. You look at some of the guys back then, and we all had the same sort of thing. We were, we were as much as we're trying to make a save, we're trying to protect ourselves. So let me ask real quick, final follow-up on that, Kelly. I'm sure you're in the goalie fraternity. You like to see all goaltenders do well. Do you think the, the argument, yeah. the equipment is too big today? Do, do you believe it's too big? Is it appropriate for, for what they're facing when, when you talk about how hard and heavy the shots come in? Well, first of all, I agree with you. Like The shots have never been harder. Um, they have to deal with that. Every single guy can shoot for the most part. The, their equipment has changed, so they're allowed that. I, I don't think I've ever seen shots more accurate than they are today. The guys are uh, phenomenal at picking the smallest spots. Uh, back when I played, I'm sure most of the goalies would say there would only be you know, 25, 30 guys, 50 guys at the most that had shots that accurate, whereas today it's phenomenal. But to that point, it's ridiculous the size of their equipment. Like, come on. This is, in large part, not about protection. It's about bulk. And it does annoy me to a certain degree that nothing's uh, happened with that. Well, last year they introduced the, the rounder uh, pants. I was going to um, say, or not enough. Yeah. yeah. But not enough. I mean, you look at, and I'm not going to name names, but we all know. You look at some of the guys, and they're the skinniest, leanest guys you've ever seen in your life, and you look at them in the net, and they're e enormous. Now, to me, that's not making a save. That's just, that's bulk. I mean, I, if I had my way, there'd be, um, there would be more of a greater threat of uh, increasing the size of the net until they finally did, there was some sort of action that we've got to reduce the size of the equipment. That's, it's, it's, you know what, and they always say, the people say, well, that, then you're changing the history of the game. Well, the size of the equipment is changing the history mm -hmm. of the game. So it's, either way, it, it doesn't bother me. Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night in Canada, and again, the author of Calling the Shots. Appreciate this, Kelly. Generous with the time. Thank you very much for this. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, Ben. Thanks for inviting me on your show. All right, there it was. Kelly Rudy, author of Calling the Shots, Ups, Downs, and Rebounds, My Life in the Great Game of Hockey. Awesome stuff from Kelly Rudy. He is one of the top analysts uh, north of the border with Hockey Night in Canada and Rogers Sports. Now you can see why portion of that interview right there. And Kelly Rudy, 15 years in the NHL, going back a little bit, 1980s and 90s, played primarily again with the New York Islanders and with Wayne Gretzky and the LA Kings, and then capped off his career with a cameo appearance with the San Jose Sharks. All right, when we come back, we are going to turn our attention back to the modern-day Capitals. We're going to hear from John Carlson chatting earlier today in the Capitals dressing room with Mike Vogel following the Caps' morning skate as the Capitals look ahead to tonight's game against the Arizona Coyotes. Capitals beat the Coyotes 3-2 in early November. Carlson with the overtime game winner that night. We'll hear from John Carlson. Also put a bow on the week that was with the latest installment of the NHL's Plays of the Week. All that whole lot more busy game day edition of Caps Talk continues in a moment 
Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app. This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. And carried in now by the Caps. Kuznetsov holding the shot from Oshie Blackreed, and he scores! John Carlson, overtime winner, his first of the season. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, Arizona. John Carlson wins it. Final score, 3-2. to two. And there it was, November 6th, back at Capital One Arena. John Carlson, the overtime game winner as the Capitals rallied to beat the Arizona Coyotes 3-2 in OT. And the Capitals impressing this year beyond 60 minutes. Capitals 6-1 beyond regulation this year, including their two most recent wins. Last Saturday against the Anaheim Ducks and then more recently Tuesday night in Dallas as they beat the Stars 4-3 in OT. Overall, Capitals have won four straight. Eight of their last nine and 12 of their last 15 games, which has allowed them to climb up the Metropolitan Division standings. They begin the night tied for first place with the New Jersey Devils one point clear of the third place Columbus Blue Jackets. As we welcome you back inside the D.C. studios, Ben Raby back with you getting set for the Capitals and the Coyotes tonight. The penultimate game for the Capitals before the holiday break. They'll be back at it tomorrow evening. The quick turnaround as they visit the best home team in the league this season, your Vegas Golden Knights, 14-2-1 at T-Mobile Arena. And in case you're just joining us, we spoke last hour to Nate Schmidt, which was awesome. And uh, the last thing I asked him, he wasn't biting on this one. I brought up that home ice advantage they seem to be enjoying. And uh, he went with the fact that they have a good crowd, good, good home fans in Vegas. I'm sure they do. They do. They've shown themselves very well. It's come across through the TV and... They're selling out every game in Vegas. The merchandise sales have been through the roof. So good on them. But then there is that whole Vegas flu business. We had Greg Wyshynski on the show yesterday from ESPN.com. He chronicled it very well. You look at the teams who've gone out to Vegas, the first time they have visited the Vegas Golden Knights, usually doesn't end very well on the ice. Perhaps indulging in a few uh, few extracurricular activities, shall we say. Now, Nate Schmidt, he may not have wanted to go into it with us. Should reference. It was at the end of the interview. We had pretty much, uh, he was generous with his time. But earlier this season, Son H. Schmidt, he was asked a couple of weeks ago on TV about it, and he had a good line. He said, here in Vegas, the house always wins. So he said, uh, Vegas wasn't built by people coming in and, and winning. So I like what he had to say in terms of that, and he said it's translating now a little bit to the ice. All right, we heard the highlight there from John Carlson. Right now we're going to hear from Carly himself looking ahead to tonight's game against Arizona. He chatted earlier today following the Caps morning skate with Mike Vogel. Carly, uh, three-game road trip for you guys. Got it off on a good foot with a win on Tuesday in Dallas. A couple of days to a little R&R here in the desert. Uh, these guys, uh, you had them last month. I feel like they've, they've been struggling, obviously, late with seven straight losses. But I feel like they gave you guys all you could handle last month, and that maybe makes it a little less likely that you guys would overlook them uh, when you got Vegas on the slate tomorrow night. Yeah, uh, you try not to overlook any game, but I think, you know, this team, they can jump on you pretty quick. they got a lot of uh, fast guys and um, a couple of really good defensemen. So, you know, it doesn't matter what what 
place they are in, where they're at, and how they're playing. It's uh, it's all about capabilities, and they're certainly capable to, you know, win a lot of games and and make you pay for uh, for mistakes. So I think it's uh, like like I always say, it's on us to to make sure that we're executing and playing, um, you know, to our strengths. And um, when you do that, then it, it's harder for the other team to to impose their will. You guys and the Coyotes and the Canadians are one of only three teams that are going to have to go into this holiday break playing back-to-backs on the front end of the break and playing back-to-backs on the back end of the break. What's your mentality when you're you knowing you're playing two, two and two? I feel like these two won't be as difficult as the two coming out of the break. So how do you handle those three days in between to make sure you're ready for the uh, the 27th and 28th? Yeah, I, I think you got to worry about winning these games too. I think that, that makes these ones a little bit, um, you know, more important to, to collect some points and win some games. And um, then when you get back, it's, you know, you got to deal with the same kind of stuff. But right now we're worried about this one and um, you got to take care of yourself over the break because, like you said, we're, uh, we're right at it again after. And it's probably not ideal, but, um, you know, it's something that we're all capable of executing to our abilities. I feel like the Coyotes have had some pretty good teams uh, over the last decade or so. And you guys, I feel like, have been one of the dominant teams in the league over the last decade or so. So it's kind of interesting that you guys have won only one of your last six visits to this building and needed overtime to to get that done. What is it about certain teams, certain buildings, whatever, that that it just seems you guys have it on the other side with with Boston right now where uh, and I think it's all cyclical, but it just seems like for whatever reason, uh, certain teams struggle in certain buildings and against certain teams. Yeah, I think subconscious. Subconsciously, you you might think about it a little bit in terms of um, you know your your previous success or lack thereof, and um, whatever it is, you got to battle through it. And we're professionals; we we go out there and play, and uh, I'd like to change that tonight. When you look at the success you guys have had as a group since Barry Trotz uh, came in behind the bench, uh, it seems like every year you guys just launch yourselves uh, in the month of December. Eight and one thus far this month. And your road record in December over the last four years is is remarkable. I think it's 16, 4, and 5. Uh, Barry told me back, I think, in that first year that he actually would prefer to play on the month or prefer to play on the road in the month of December, thinking that teams like today, for example, Arizona, they got family in town, they've got distractions, they've got things going on. You'd rather be the road team this month. You think there's anything to that? Because you guys have certainly uh, had your share of success. Yeah, I'm, maybe. I don't know. I don't think about stuff like that. Yeah, right. I just uh, do I. show up and play, and um, the better team usually wins, whether you know someone's waiting for you at home or not. So um, I think we we have had good December. So you know, there's no reason to stop and keep moving forward. And I think we've uh, finding ways to win that. Uh, you know, in the beginning of the year, we were kind of lacking, and I think we've matured as a group a lot, and I think it's paying off right now. And you guys' success obviously dates back to before the start of December. You've won 17 of your last 23, which is basically the pace that, that you guys had over the last two seasons when you led the league uh, during the regular season uh, both times. What's it like to play at that strong of a pace, to win 17 out of 23, but still not be able to really achieve any sort of separation uh, in your division, yeah. it sort of lets you know that, mm-hmm. man, you really have to keep your foot on the gas this season. Yeah, absolutely. It's tight, tight division, and um, you know that, that makes every single game a little bit more important, and especially the ones that you know we play uh, division opponents. 
early on in the season you don't really think about the standings until a year like this happens and it's already so tight that um, every point's a big point and the more you can collect the, the better off you'll be. All right, there they are, the pregame thoughts from Caps defenseman John Carlson looking ahead to tonight's game against the Coyotes. And again, Philip Grubauer will get the start tonight for the Capitals. Scott Wedgwood going for Arizona. So it will be the battle of the backup goalies. One other potential lineup change for the Capitals tonight. Taylor Chorney, Barry Trotz uh, suggesting in his meeting with the media earlier today in Arizona, chance Taylor Chorney will draw into the lineup tonight. We do anticipate Shorney playing either tonight in Arizona or tomorrow in Vegas. He's been a healthy scratch the last 10 games for the Capitals, but uh, Barry Trotz mentioning he would like to get Taylor Shorney into a game before the Christmas break, so could come as early as tonight in Arizona with Madison Bowie expected to sit as a healthy scratch if Shorney does in fact draw into the lineup. All right, we will take one final break. When we come back, we will put a bow, a wrap on the week that was with the latest installment of the NHL's Plays of the Week. We'll do that in just a moment as Caps Talk continues. Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps Mobile app. This is Caps Talk. Rock it, baby. Rock it, baby. On Caps Radio 24-7. Ovechkin brings it in again. Right side. Big shot. He scores! Ovechkin! Overtime game winner! Good morning! Good afternoon! And good night! Anaheim! Washington from two down in the third! Ovechkin scoring in seven depth! His 23rd of the year, and the Caps winners again on home ice, three to two. And tonight's number one star of the game from the Washington Capitals with the game-winning overtime goal. Your captain, the Great Eight, Alex Ovechkin. There it was last Saturday as the Capitals rallied from 2-0 down, beat the Anaheim Ducks 3-2 in overtime. Alex Ovechkin, a big reason why his league-leading 23rd goal of the season. That remains tops in the NHL entering play tonight. He has some companies tied with Nikita Kucherov of the Tampa Bay Lightning for the league lead with 23 goals each on the campaign. Anders Lee of the New York Islanders, two back with 21 on the season. And John Tavares, your other 20-goal scorer this year, he's had an even 20 for the campaign, again with Ovechkin and Kucherov leading the way. So that overtime winner from Alex Ovechkin last Saturday, that among the highlights from the past week for the Capitals, was it good enough? Was it worthy to make the NHL's Plays of the Week? Well, let's find out. Here it is, the final installment in 2017 of the Plays of the Week, courtesy our friends at NHL Radio. On its 100th birthday, the NHL took the party outside, and almost 34,000 chilled Ottawans wouldn't have had it any other way. Off the draw, back to point, Carlson with a wrister, scores! Puck is redirected, G.G. Peugeot! A long drifting shot, knocked down by Anderson, clears it back to the boards, and that'll do it. As the Ottawa Senators get a shutout performance from Craig Anderson, who gathers up the puck. That's a beautiful keepsake from him on a special night here in the nation's capital as the Ottawa Senators win the NHL 100 Classic 3-0 over the Montreal Canadiens. Dean Brown was on hand at Lansdowne Park in Canada's capital for a celebration of the league's centennial. 
And despite single-digit temperatures, the Sens Army went home happy as Craig Anderson recorded his 40th career shutout, Eric Carlson logged nearly 33 minutes and blocked eight shots, and J.G. Pajot scored the game winner on the 100th anniversary of the first games played in the NHL. Meanwhile, in indoor activities... Good movement here by Buffalo. McCabe shot, bounces, open net, scores! The Eichel Tower grows by one. Jack looking for a shooting late, slide, scores! Second one added to the tower. Here's Eichel again, scores! It's a Jack trick! That's Dan Dunleavy on Friday as the Sabres center iceman recorded his first career three-goal game. It wasn't enough to assure a win, though, as Chuck Caton watched the Hurricanes work overtime for the two points. He's got a breakaway. Up from center, he's over the line. Oh, dragging out that right pad. Cam Ward kicked it out. A flame and scored on the other end on a centering pass. And the Hurricanes win the game. 35 seconds left in overtime. Here's Tierney. Left circle for Burns walking to the front of the net. Lost the puck. Here come the Canucks the other way. Edler down the left wing. Gagne with him. Edler gives it to Gagne. He's in all alone. To the back hit. He scores! Sam Gagne, overtime winner. Brendan Batchelor with the call on Friday as the Canucks outlasted the Sharks 4-3. Fast forward to Thursday, though, and San Jose would have its revenge. Work free by Hurdle. He's got LeBanc in front. There's the shot. LeBanc scores. Kevin LeBanc in overtime gets the game winner. With 3.07 left, the Sharks will win this one. Five to four. Barzell right wing over the LA line. Got Everly going to the net. Goes to him. Shoots and scores! Jordan Everly wins it in overtime on a beautiful setup from Matt Barzell. And the Islanders have themselves the 4-3 win in sudden death. Bishop has lost the goal stick. The Flyers hold it in. Back over to Gossespierre. Gossespierre walks in. He scores! The overtime game winner by Shane Gossespierre. Ovechkin brings it in again. Right side. Big shot. He scores! Ovechkin! Overtime game winner! To center point, Carlson. Leading for Burakovsky. Up to the left circle. A shot. He scores! Andre Burakovsky wins it for Washington. Zuccarello for Shattenkirk. Back to Zuccarello in the right circle. Dayarnay creeping into the crease. So is Kreider. That shot. Score! Score! Max Zuccarello. It beat Tukarask and the Rangers win it. 3-2. Dowdy will take over for Brown left wing. Around a man. In on goal. Brown shoots. Scores! That's the way you celebrate 1,000 <laughs> NHL games. Dustin Brown. And there's Dan Rusinowski, Chris King, Tim Saunders, John Walton, John Giannone, and Nick Nixon with more bonus time game winners from this week. Left boards to the line again for Pouliot. Long drive, stop, rebound, they score. Thomas Panic at the top of the crease. Erickson to Vermeestra, back to Erickson, into the slot for Viega, side to the ball, Panic scores. Panic corrals down low, sends near side Besser, threw it into the slot, rolling puck, Panic scores. Thomas Panic with a hat trick. And home to the net, gets left behind center, if they do, they score. Here's a drive, coming, score. Hampus Lindholm. Out high in the slot. Dishing off, Lindholm, shoots, scores! Goal number three on the night for Hampus Lindholm, and the Ducks get an overtime win, 5-4 over the Islanders. There's Bachelor again from Tuesday night with Thomas Vanek's 10th career hat trick 
and Steve Carroll on Thursday with Hampus Lindholm's first. The Anaheim Blue Liner became only the second Duck defender to score three in a game. And like his predecessor, Lubomir Visnovsky, his third was the overtime game winner. I'm Doug Brown. Happy holidays from NHL Radio. And there they are, the latest installment of the NHL's Plays of the Week. And that will do it for this Friday afternoon edition of Camps Talk, the final edition of 2017. Awesome show today. Thanks to all of our guests, including Nate Schmidt, the Caps alum and Vegas Golden Knights defenseman. Thanks on the production side to Kyle Skonawill. And a reminder, Caps and Coyotes coming up tonight just past 9 Eastern pregame at 845. Until then, an encore presentation of Caps Talk is up next. You'll hear from Glenn Dreyfus, Nate Schmidt, Kelly Rudy, and a whole contingent of Caps Media personnel with their holiday wishes. Ben Raby here thanking you for joining us on Caps Talk Encore presentation up next. Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app. Happy holidays, everyone. Listening to Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. Tune in every Monday through Friday at 4 Eastern to hear the players, coaches, media, and fans talk Caps, hockey, and always taking your phone calls at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5 on your all-capitals, all-the-time station, Caps Radio 24-7.